this is a lesson that has helped me personally, and I hope that it will help you as well. In Psalms, the 23rd chapter, David records, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Pay attention to verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, I'm not at that level yet, okay? David says that when he walks through the valleys of life, what he's talking about, those low times in our life, he says, I'm not going to fear any evil. But you see, sometimes when I go in some of those valleys in my life, I want to say things like, why are you doing this, Lord? I want to say things like, why me? And I don't have that positive attitude or that knowledge that David seems to have. And you know the Apostle Paul, he had the very same attitude. If you ever doubt that, read the Philippian letter. Paul was in jail. Well, he was under house arrest, really under house arrest, waiting for the news to come to him whether he was to be put to death or to be set free. And just read that letter, how positive he was. It was like, whatever God has for me, I'm ready for it. Now, the question of the hour is this. How do we get our faith which... I'm not putting you in the same category, but my faith's down here. How do we get our faith up there like David and Paul? That's a good question. That's worth studying. And for a few minutes, I would like to share with you some of my thoughts on how we can get to that level of confidence in the Lord. Like David, sometimes we find ourselves in the valleys of our lives, the low points. But unlike David, when we find ourselves in these valleys, we let these low points in our lives dictate our emotions and our actions. We do not like to be in these valleys. Who does? Nobody does. We had much rather be on top of the mountain, so to speak, or at least out of the valleys. Who wouldn't rather be on the very top when we live? But we all need to realize, if you're on top of the mountain, 
the top of the mountain in your life and you want to get to another mountaintop, unless you can fly, you have to go through the valleys to get to the next mountaintop. And we don't want to stay, no matter what level of plateau that you're on as a Christian, we don't want to stay there. We are exhorted throughout the Scripture to go to that next mountaintop, to educate ourselves in God's Word so that we can become better Christians, better workers for the Lord. But we all go through setbacks in our lives. It may be financial challenges. It may be health problems. It may be marriage or dating problems. And when we are in these valleys of our lives, it is easy to get discouraged. It is easy to lose hope, even to the point that we feel that our life will never improve. However, we need to remember that God can change a large defeat into a gateway of hope. Hosea 2:15. You may be in the valley of trouble right at this moment. You may be in a valley of loneliness. You may be in a valley of debt. And even though you cannot see a way out, that is when we need to turn all of those problems over to God. So what we want to concentrate on today is how do we handle ourselves as we hit the valleys of our lives? How do we keep that hope in our hearts, that spring in our steps, when it looks like to us there's just no way out? I suppose one of the greatest valley stories ever told was when David met Goliath in the valley of Elah. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to read this entire chapter. But if you would allow me to paraphrase it for you. And I highly suggest go home, read this chapter so that you can really appreciate it. But we find the scene here in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel that you had the Israelites, King Saul on one mountain and on the other side, of the a different mountain, you had the Philistines. And basically, they were communicating back and forth, fighting a little bit here and there, but it was not an all-out war. Basically, both sides were a little apprehensive of the other, is the way I take it. And this, the Philistines had this champion, Goliath was his name. And we all heard about Goliath, how much his armor weighed and how big he was and tall he was. And basically, this Philistine, Goliath, would come down to the bottom of the mountain, shout across the valley, 
and make fun of their God, our God. This went on for about 40 days. And to be quite honest with you, it scared them to death. It scared them to death, okay? David comes upon the scene. He was the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse had, I think, eight sons. David was the youngest. And three of Saul's, of Jesse's sons, were in battle under King Saul. They were on the battlefield there. David was tending sheep because he was too young. And one day, Jesse tells David, take these, this food, these rations, and take it to your brothers and let me know how it's going. That's reasonable, right? Well, when David gets there to deliver the supplies, he hears, oh, Goliath. And he looks around and the whole army, King Saul's army, they're dreadfully afraid. And so afraid that King Saul said, if any man can kill Goliath, I will enrich him with great riches I will give you my daughter in marriage, and I like this next part, and I give you a tax break. <laughs> so he's trying to entice somebody to fight this giant of a man. Okay. David said, is that true? And, and they said, yeah, 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 it's all true. And David said, I'll do it. At first, King Saul looked at David and said, David, you don't stand a chance. You're young, inexperienced. What chance do you think that you'll have against Goliath? And then when the oldest brother Eliab's, Eliab, I think that's how you pronounce his name. When he heard about it, how his younger brother had more courage than he had, he gets angry. And he speaks against David. Oh, David, you're just, go back to the sheep, David. And he discourages David. All right. Well, Finally, David convinces King Saul. And Saul says, what have we got to lose? Here, you go after him. And of course, we know the rest of the story. David tells the Philistine, or tells King Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. 
So David goes out. He's so young. He's so, I won't say weak, but he's not strong enough to even carry all the armor that a grown man would as a teenager. So he takes his sling and he heads to face Goliath. Well, when Goliath sees him, he uh, is like, you're coming up against me? And David tells him, you come to me with a sword and your spear and your javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know. I'm doing this so that everybody will know there is a God in Israel. The battle was the Lord's. Interesting to me, David has his sling, but he's got no ammunition. That's like, here, you, you take this, this gun and protect yourself, but you don't have any bullets. That's what that means. And as, he wa as he's walking up to the Philistine, he had so much faith, he just looks down and there's those stones. So he reaches down and he picks those stones up. Man, we could, we could talk several minutes about how God will provide for you and you don't even realize it. The stones were there. So he grabs one. We know the story. He slings, hit the Goliath in the forehead, knocks him unconscious, takes his sword and cuts his head off. We love that story. Let me say this. Don't, be, don't let the valleys of your life fool you because God has the final say in your well-being. Satan would have you see situations through your own eyes. And basically that's what was happening. All of King Saul's men were looking at things through their own eyes and they could see it through their eyes and they could only see what they could see. Don't let Satan fool you. You need to see things through God's eyes. And it's very interesting here that David praised God when he went in that valley. He gave God the praise. He says, I'm doing this so that everybody will know 
that there's a God in heaven. He even told his brother, he said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And sometimes we forget that, don't we? Well, that's what happened to David in the valley of Elah. And it's no coincidence to me that this event took place in the valley. Every morning and every evening for 40 days, Goliath came out and shouted insults to God's people, taunting them, making fun of them, trying to stir up trouble. And Goliath was huge. He stood over nine feet tall. His armor weighed over 125 pounds, and he was the champion. When King Saul and the others heard him, they were terrified. David showed up, a teenager, not fully a grown man. And David looked at that Philistine in a different way than all the rest of the people. All they could see was their problem. David, he could see the solution. Or he could see the one that had the solution. That's probably a better way to put it. David knew this man did not have a covenant with God. David knew Goliath did not have the blessings of God. David knew that they were in a valley... But David also knew that Goliath could not keep them there if God did not want them to be there. Now let's remember, all of King Saul's army heard the same thing, including King Saul. And every one of them looked at the situation through their own eyes. David looked at the situation through the eyes of God. Remember what David said? You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Now, when you are in your valley, when you hear the threats, Satan will tell you, you're, you're never going to get out of this problem. Satan will say, this problem is way too big for your God. He may say, you'll never get well. You will have to stay in this situation because there's no hope. That's what Satan will tell you. But don't be like the Israelites. Don't believe those lies. Don't live in fear. Be like David. Talk back to the enemy. And remember, what you say when, in, when you are in your valley of life has a great impact of whether you stay in the valley or whether you get out. The Israelites were saying, Goliath is too big. We don't have a chance. We will never de defeat him. Listen, when you talk defeat, you are inviting more defeat. 
If you say you will never get out of a problem, then it will probably keep you there. Instead of agreeing with the enemy, start letting God fight your battles. This is where the Israelites missed it. When they were saying how big Goliath was, what did David say? David was saying how big God is. They were magnifying the problem. David was magnifying God. Big difference. Now listen, Satan does, ha does not have any new tricks. He's got a bunch of tricks, and he is very creative, but there's no new tricks. He uses the same old tricks day after day and year after year. If you go back through history, it will be a fair bet that Satan will use the same techniques that he always has, even today. In this valley thousands of years ago, he was shouting insults. Today, Satan will try to intimidate you with lies. Your Goliath may not stand on the side of a mountain and shout at you, but in your thoughts, if you let him, Satan will make your troubles just as big and just as real as Goliath was to those Israelites. It can cause you to lose sleep. It can cause you to sour relationships. Physically, it can make you so sick with all the stress. Brothers and sisters and friends, please recognize what is happening. Don't be like one of those Israelites and run and hide for 40 days. And then let those 40 days turn into 40 months. And then let those 40 months turn into 40 years. Don't be like that. Be like David. There's nothing more powerful than God's words coming out of your mouth. And if it is God's will that I stay in the valley, then praise God, that's where I want to be. That's what Paul said. That's where I want to be. If God wants me there, He's got a purpose for me, and that's where I want to be. Wherever He leads, that's where I want to be. David told King Saul that he wanted to fight Goliath. And did you notice the king told him all the reasons why it was a bad idea? David, you're too young. You do not have the training. No experience. He's too big. Brothers and sisters and friends, people will try to keep you in the valley. Satan will try to keep you in your valley especially if they are already in the same valley. People will tell you what you can't do, what you don't have, what you're not capable of. They will try to get you to be satisfied with the status quo. People, do not expect everyone to cheer you on because everyone is not on your side. Do not let the lack of support from others 
keep you in your valley. And brothers and sisters and friends, this is so important. This is so important when we have some family members in the church and we have other family members not in the church and there is conflict going back and forth. Remember, David had King Saul tell him, you can't do it. He had his own brother tell him, you can't do it. Don't let the lack of support from others keep you in your valley. Now, you know, David could have thought to himself, maybe the king's right. I am young. I'm just a teenager. What experience do I have? David could have said, I do not come from an influential family. And Goliath is much bigger than I am. Maybe I should just accept this valley. Brothers and sisters and friends, if David had let King Saul discourage him and change his mind, then the story would have turned out much differently. David, if he had not fought Goliath, chances would have been very slim that he would ever gotten to the king's throne. His poor old daddy would never got that tax break. David would not have won the king's daughter and married and so on and so on. What I'm trying to say is this. Sometimes when you are in your valley of life, you might lack the support from others, just like David. Realize that. And I want you to know, fear, anxiety, helplessness, sometimes it feels permanent. And when you do not have the support from others, you have to dig down deep. You have to find that inner strength, that inner faith, you have to rely on that inner faith in God. Besides, it wasn't David's fight with Goliath. The battle was God's battle, wasn't it? Time and time again, God has always wanted to fight his battles in a lopsided way. Why would he do that? Because he wanted everybody to know that it wasn't your might or their might or the might of people that won the battle. It was God's might. And you can see story after story after story where God said, oh no, that's too many men. <laughs> Y'all don't need that many. Or I don't need that many. Just give me a few and we'll take care of the problem. It was the Lord's battle. The battle was won because of the might of God. And that's what God wanted to show. Don't be discouraged by people who are not for you. It would be nice if others were in your corner, especially our family. But remember, 
You and God are a majority. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Remember, Paul was in house arrest waiting for his verdict. Death or to be released. The American Standard Version says, 4.13 says, I can do all things in Him that strengthens me. Paul truly felt, and we should feel the same way, that it was impossible for life to throw anything at him that he and the Lord couldn't handle. The key words of this verse, as so often in Paul's writings, are in him. Now I want to tell you something. If you're not in Him, that's a whole different ballgame. If you're not in Him, completely different situation. We draw strength from the one that we obey. And as James said, if I keep the whole law and offend in one point, then I'm guilty of all. So we can't just be this Sunday morning Christian. We can't be a Monday, Tuesday. We can't just do some of the things right. We have to do all of the things right to be in a full relationship with God. Now, when David was in the Valley of Elah, he did not have any armor. He did not have a shield. He did not have any weapons. All he had was that sling. You see, God was showing us that there is provisions even in our valley. David did not bring those stones into the valley. He did not have an armor bearer. He had no one to help him. But I want us to all understand what he needed was, in, was within his reach. What does the scripture say? Acts. I can't think of the chapter, but it's when the apostle said, we should reach out and touch him though he be not far from every one of us. The provisions are there. You do not have to wait on anyone. You do not need a promotion at work. You don't need to win the lottery. Provisions are provided for us. All David needed was his sling and five little stones. Yeah, well, he only needed one, didn't he? Didn't even need the four. That just shows you how much God... He, he gives us more than we need to get the job done. In Him. God can provide in any circumstance. Now think about this. Jesus gave us an example to follow. Jesus has given us written instructions to follow. Jesus has made a way to communicate with God the Father. 
Jesus has made it possible to communicate with God when we do not even know what to say. Jesus has given us another comforter. What more could Jesus do to make it any easier for us? Jesus prayed to give us another comforter that he will be with us forever. Even if the entire world is against you, if you are a Christian, then you are never alone. And you know, that's one of the tactics of the devil. He wants to make you feel like it's you against this big problem. He wants to separate you from God so you will be alone. I invite you to give praise to God when you're in the valley. What did David do? He gave praise to God. David said he was fighting for the creator of the universe. And do not miss this. David said, Goliath, you're putting your trust in that sword, in that spear, in that javelin. But I'm putting my trust in the name of the Lord. And furthermore, David said he was not doing this for his benefit. He was doing it so that all would know the greatness of the God of Israel. How about the next time we get in our valley? Let's give God a little praise. That'd be different, wouldn't it? It worked for Paul and Silas in Acts the 16th chapter, remember? Talk about a valley. They were beaten, put in jail, not just in jail, but in stocks in jail. Double fortified, if you please. What'd they do? They started singing praises to God. God created an earthquake. The chains just fell off. Try giving God a little praise. <laughs> and even Jonah was his old nasty self. Jonah was in the belly of this whale. And what did he do? He came to himself and he gave God praise. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah 2 verse 10. We could go on and on. People do not underestimate the power of God. It might look like you can't get out of the jam and you know what? you probably can't get out of it by yourself. But don't limit God on what He can do. Number five, sometimes it is God's will for you to stay in the valley. <clears throat> we all would love to say like David, though I walk through that valley, I will fear no evil. We want to say that. But you know what? Sometimes God has different plans for us. 
I wish I could go all Joel Osteen on you and tell you how everything's going to be all right and you'll find your destiny. That's not the truth. That is not the truth. Sometimes we lose our jobs. Sometimes we lose a loved one. Give me a second. When I lost my father, I was devastated. Sometimes we have a bad marriage. Sometimes we do not marry that person of our dreams. Someone else does. Sometimes we get no as an answer to our prayers. Brothers and sisters and friends, sometimes it's just not... It it doesn't turn out like we want it to. Listen, Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jethay, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith... They did wonderful things. They subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of the lions. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They were valiant in fighting. They turned to fight the enemies of the aliens. Women received the dead. They were raised again unto life. But you see, here's where Joel Osteen stops. He would have you to believe and Satan would have you to believe that God will lead you out of your valley up to your mountaintop to your destiny. If you would just have faith, then everything's going to be all right. But the writer does not stop there. The writer of Hebrews continues on after verse 35. Listen. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were cut in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, how they would put the Christians up there and let the animals just tear them apart. Being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of these, listen having obtained a good report through faith, what did they get on their report card when it come to faith? A plus. But they did not receive the promise. They didn't get out of their valleys. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Folks, you may not get out of your valley, but the writer here is telling us there's going to be something better. There's going to be something better. 
So the question of the hour has to be, how are we going to react if the answer to our prayers is no? Verse 40, God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Folks, I want to live in a better place than this planet Earth. I'm 66 years old, and you know what? I am tired of heartaches. I am tired of losing loved ones. I'm tired of aches and of pains, of diseases and car wrecks and death. I'm tired of evil and evil people. I'm tired of seeing people forsake God and forsake the church. I'm tired of it. I'm ready for that better place that God has prepared for us. Remember Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Thomas said, Lord, how do we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. The scripture also says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, folks, I want you to understand, there are earthly rewards and there are heavenly rewards. Don't get these two mixed up. Earthly rewards are temporary. Heavenly rewards are permanent. You know, I pity the person that thinks this earth is as good as it gets. <laughs> Man, what a mindset. And I think that part of the problem is when people get too happy with this life on earth, they think or they cannot comprehend someplace better than this. God blesses these people so much, they have so much, and they think, well, this is good as it gets. And they're satisfied. They have reached a plateau in life, and they are satisfied. And they miss the big picture. Brothers and sisters and friends, the big picture is heaven. And I'm thankful that this life on earth is just a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow because I'm ready for the big picture. David said he was just passing through that valley of, life, uh, valley of the shadow of death. David knew there was something better awaiting him. Now, I want this to be perfectly clear to everyone. If you make it through your valley, well, that's wonderful. And if you do not make it through your valley, if you have stayed faithful, it will also be wonderful. I know it won't feel like it at the time, but we have to remember what David said. 
Though I walk through that valley, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David didn't think he was going to live on earth forever, but he wanted to live with God forever. Now, if we go through our valleys with the right perspective, knowing that when it is all over, our cup is going to run over, then certainly that attitude will help us get through the valleys. I know I'm going to have to cut this a little short, so I'm going to skip over a few things. One thing that helped me in this lesson, Paul looked at his situation. David looked at his situation, and what did they think? They thought, God has put me there. Did you know that God has always tested His people throughout time? And what helped me to realize that if I'm in a valley in my life, it may be a test from God. I put that valley in my life in perspective. Maybe God is testing me. Now, God ordains tests for us, not for His sake, but for ours. God ordains tests today just like He did in the Old Testament with the testing of His people and in the New Testament with the testing of His disciples. There are several reasons why God would want to test His people. Today, God wants to know something about us, just like He did His people in old. And once we understand that, well, maybe this valley is a test. If we put it in perspective that there is a purpose for our valley it may help us get through it. So what kind of test does God give us? Quickly here. Diagnostic test. God tests us to reveal our spiritual condition. You know, recently I took uh, Stacy's vehicle and my vehicle and we took it to the shop. The guy asked me, when I took Stacy's vehicle and he said, what's wrong with it? I said, my wife said it was wonky. He said, well, I'm going to have to run a test on that and figure out what that is. He had to do a diagnostic test. Well, you do that to see what the problem is, do you not? When we go to the doctor, they will run tests on you to see what's wrong with you x-rays, blood work, and God likes to test us to see our spiritual condition just like the doctor does our physical condition. Oh, it's true. Look how he does it. Deuteronomy 8 and 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. That was the 
You do everything I tell you to. Don't you go to the left. Don't you go to the right. You do it exactly like I tell you to do it. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why did He do it? To humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep His commandments or not. That's exactly the same teaching of Hebrews 12 Verse 5. The writer there says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom he, the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure the chastening, God deals with you like a son. Skipping down. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the key right there. If you go through your life, valleys in your life, and you don't learn anything from it, what a waste. What a waste. The writer here says, God will allow these things to happen to test you. Maybe you're too arrogant. Maybe you need humbling. Maybe this or that. Or maybe you just need to be more righteous. And he's trying to teach you how to be humble, how to train you for more righteousness. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. I should have made two lessons out of this. I'm sorry. Number two. Or number one. When we go through our valleys, we can either be stubborn and not learn anything or we can turn our valleys of life into learning experiences to make us more righteous. That's how I have to look at my valleys to help me get through it. Maybe this is a test. Maybe it's just life. I don't know. But if I look at it as a test, and as the writer says, I let these tests, these valleys train me to do better, well, I'm better off. It helps me get through them. Maybe this lesson can change your attitude for the better when we are in our valleys of life. It did me. When we understand valleys can be good for us, they can teach us things. Why wouldn't that help us? All right, number two. Sometimes God will give us an educational test. Now, I hate exams as much as anybody. My students, when I tell them I'm not giving them a written exam, they're like, yay! You know, they're so happy about that. But I know that I need to still put pressure on them so that they will pay attention in class. So I tell them, you're going to get a grade on your classroom participation anyway. 
So that enhances them to listen and not just go through the motion, okay? When we know this, it usually makes it easier for us to go through our valley if God has given us an educational test. You know, the disciples faced an educational test when they found themselves in the midst of an unexpected storm. In the book of Matthew chapter 8, here again, I'm going to paraphrase. They were in the boat. The storm started raging. All they could see was the storm. They could not see the Savior, the one who created the storm, and the weather and the universe was on board with them. They said, why are you fearful? Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Oh, Lord, save us. We're perishing. Don't you know what's happening? Isn't that the way we are? We tell the Lord, Lord, why are you doing this? You don't think he knows it? You think you're going to tell the Lord something he doesn't know? His response is going to be just like he told his disciples. Why are you fearful, oh, you of little faith? Now, I want to tell you something. I personally, I've been in a boat on the gulf when the waves were coming overboard, okay? I know how fearful that is. And I'm not a trained, I'm not a professional fisherman. I'm just a guy with a boat. These were professional fishermen. <coughs> and if it scared them, you can see why it'd be so easy for us to get afraid, would you not? The fishermen could see the waves coming over in the boat, but their problem was the waves was all they could see. They could not see the rest of their faith. They could not pass the test, or they could have passed the test if they remembered that the one that created everything was in the hull of the boat on a boat cushion taking a nap. Sometimes we forget that. Jesus says, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Mark records the same scenario there. Jesus said, peace be still. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? That's just the way we are. Jesus, God, don't you care about us? We have choices to make when we walk through our valleys. Now, very quickly, I want you to know, it's worse to lose your soul than to lose your physical life. God's vision sees and cares about even the smallest little bird. And of course, I'm referencing Matthew 10, 28, through 33. You know, I've used these verses in many of lessons, but I've never used them all together, these six verses together until this lesson. And when you put it all together, boy, does it make sense. Jesus values, He cares about you. If we confess Jesus on earth, Jesus will confess you to God the Father in heaven. Now, <clears throat> this is very interesting too 
When will Jesus confess our name? I have heard and believed for most of my life that on the day of judgment, Jesus is going to introduce us to God the Father. But now, I don't think that's the only time that Jesus tells God the Father our name. There's a strong indication that something much more immediate is meant. Now, Jesus did not say when he would confess those who confess him, but he gave us an example of it. The very first time someone confessed him, that was in the case of the apostle Peter in Matthew 7 and verse 17, whom Jesus confessed then and there. From this it would appear that when any person, any person confesses Jesus and is buried with him in baptism, Jesus introduces us to God the Father. The two actions have to be together, confessing, believing, and baptism, as used in Ephesians 5 and verse 26. Jesus confesses those who have been born again in the presence of God and the angels. And furthermore, it is possible that at the same time when the redeemed have their names written in the book of Lambs, Revelations 20 and verse 15. When are our names written in the book of Lambs? When we're saved. Our name is written there. In Philippians 4 verse 13, Paul indicates that those helpers, those fellow workers of his whose name are written in the book of life, our name, when we've confessed Jesus, our names are written there right now, which also tends to, if we fail Jesus, if we sin and we let sin separate us from God, our name will be erased from that book. So your name is not written in the book of life when you die or at the time of judgment, but your name is written in the book while we are still alive and working here on earth. Confession of faith in Jesus as God's only begotten Son is the basic requirement in the whole Christian religion, Romans 10.10. And people called it, and Paul called it, the good confession twice in a single passage, 1 Timothy 6, 12, and 13. But I digress. Deny Jesus on earth, and Jesus will deny you to God the Father in heaven. And I'm going to stop it right here. I've kept your attention long enough. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but it reminds me of the story. What was his name? Um, Charles Blunden. Charles Blunden. 1859. He ran a cable across Niagara Falls. And in 1859, he'd go back and forth, walking. He took a stove one time and cooked a, an egg on the, you know, did all this stuff. 
Well, one time he went across backwards, got a wheelbarrow and come across it with a wheelbarrow. And he asked the people, do you, do you believe I can do this? And they said, yes, we've seen you do it. We know you can do it. He said, then who's going to get in? Of course, no one did. So when we say we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, are you going to get in the wheelbarrow when it comes your time in the valley of your life? Folks, magnify God instead of your problems and realize that sometimes these valleys are useful. They have a purpose. And maybe it will help you get through your life. Your valley. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from the Oyster Bay Church of Christ in Crawfordville, Florida. I hope you've been blessed by its message. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, or if you'd like to hear more preaching by the members of our congregation, visit our website at www.obcoc.org. I'm Hayden, and on behalf of the congregation, we wish you a blessed day.